Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 and put a marker in Psalm 119. Open to Matthew 5, put a marker in Psalm 119. And if you don't have your Bible, no problem. You can just follow along on the screen or on your smart device right there, probably in your purse or in your pocket. We're talking about something this weekend that doesn't get a lot of airplay in the church, and I understand why. But we're continuing our series this weekend titled Grace Upon Grace. It's been a fun and phenomenal series thus far. This is the second to the last week. Next weekend I'll wrap it up. And if you haven't been here the entire time, go back, catch up what you missed. Uh, Because I said from the very beginning, this whole series is actually just one sermon. And I want you to understand the entire thing. Not just bits and pieces of the series, but the entire series. I want you to understand the grace of God in an even greater way than you did before we started this series. Last week we talked about perfectionism. Really what we talked about is I've got issues and, and... Come to find out, so does about half of the church. So it was actually very encouraging for many of us last week that it's okay, we got issues. And I figured after talking about perfectionism, it's the perfect time to talk about the law. It's perfect. And I I haven't been this excited in a little while because I, I I get tickled because I love to take something that many people see one way and help turn it. And, and let God show them that same thing in a different way. And I believe that many of you are going to see the law in a very new way. And actually what you're going to see is the beauty of the law. And that's the title of this weekend's message, The Beauty of the Law. I understand why we don't talk about the law so much in church, why many Christians don't talk about the law. Because we're not under the law. We've already established that in, in this series But if we're not under the law, we're under grace. That's Romans 6. And if we've been released from the law to marry Christ, that's Romans 7. We talked about all that. Well, what is the law for? Paul says time and time again in Romans, is the law bad? And then he would always answer and say, of course not. Of course the law isn't bad. John chapter 1 tells us that when Jesus came to the earth, he came full of grace and truth. But he came to the earth at a time where the people at that point in time only knew the law. And so in their minds, the way they thought, the best way they thought to uh, show God that you love him, the best way to show God uh, that you care, the, the best way to get close to him, the best way to please him was to keep the law. Then Jesus comes on the scene full of grace and truth, and it actually offends many of the people. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to take a look at the Sermon on on the Mount, and and some people think that the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' very first sermon. It wasn't. This is actually at the beginning of his third year of ministry. This is after John the Baptist has been arrested. And so this this is towards the finish line of Christ's ministry on the earth, his three year run of ministry. And up to this point, Jesus had heard something quite often. People would come to him and ask a question and say, they would start the question in this manner. 
the law says, and then they would frame their question. The law says, and then they'd give their question. In the Sermon on the Mount, we find Jesus saying, the law says, but I say. Grace and truth says. The law says this, but grace and truth says that. And every time Jesus makes this statement, he actually goes further than the law. And here's why. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The righteousness of grace exceeds the righteousness of the law. If you're someone who says, I'm under grace, and you use that as kind of your bumper sticker for I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, because I'm under grace, not under law, you need to understand the righteousness of grace exceeds the righteousness of the law. And I'm going to show it to you in Matthew chapter 5. It's very clear and, and it's inarguable that the righteousness of grace exceeds the righteousness of the law. So we can't say, uh, I'm under grace, I can do whatever I want, I, I can break God's standard because I'm not under the law anymore, I'm under grace. Let's look in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17, at what Jesus says about the law. He says this, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And watch this next verse. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is a verse I've heard taken out of context and totally misapplied for many years. We're going to talk about it later in the message. Because many have used this verse to say, well, this is why I'm legalistic. This is, this is why. Because the Bible says if I'm not more legalistic than the Pharisees, then I'm not going to get to heaven. No, that's not what the Bible says. It says if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees. Okay, so we're going to talk about the difference, all right? But I, I want you to, to focus on a different statement. Rather than focus on verse 20 for a moment, I want you to focus on something else Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the law will not disappear until I come back. The law is not going away until I come back. Okay, now I want you to think about that. That means while you're alive on this earth, you have two options. If the law is not going away until Jesus comes back, you can either be frustrated with the law or you can learn to see the beauty in the law. And in this message, I'm going to give you four things that I believe make the law beautiful, that I hope will help you to see the law in a way you've never seen it before. Here's the first thing that I believe makes the law beautiful. Point number one, the law is a master. Sounds romantic, doesn't it? The law is a master. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 in the, new, in the King James Version, because I told you last week, I'm going to start reading out of the KJV every once in a while, just to keep you on your toes. Wherefore the law, we're already off to a good start, wherefore, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Okay, 
after faith in Jesus, we are no longer under the law, correct? That's what we've learned in, in this series. That's what Romans tells us, what we just read. After faith in Christ, we're no longer under the law. But until then, the law is given to us to be our tutor, our school teacher. The law is given as a teacher to us to help us to know right from wrong. And let me help you understand just what kind of teacher the law is. Some of you actually had a teacher like this growing up. Maybe you went to Catholic school or boarding school, and, and you had that teacher who carried around a ruler, and they would wander the aisles between the desks, and they would ask a question like, when was the Spanish Armada? And the student would shout out a date. And if it was wrong, the teacher would come by that student's desk slap on the wrist. Or if a student did something wrong, the teacher would slap on the wrist. Or like me in other places. Some of you younger people are thinking, that does not happen in schools. It used to. And I bear the evidence of it. Teacher, slaps, some wrong slap. That's, that's the law. The law is not a gracious teacher. When you do wrong, the law is quick to slap you. But you, you learn, you hear reports of another teacher in your school. And you start hearing at lunchtime that this other teacher is kind and gentle and kind of funny. And actually loves the students and is a really phenomenal teacher. And You start hearing these great reports about this teacher. Then you find out you're allowed to transfer from your teacher to that other teacher. Well, what's a wise person going to do? They're not going to stay in the class where the teacher slaps them all the time. They're going to move to the other class where the teacher is kind and gentle and loving and a great teacher. Okay, listen, part of the reason the law was given to us was to motivate us to want to transfer to a new and far better teacher. That's part of the reason God gave us the law, was to frustrate us, to bring us to Christ. Now, some people think that the Ten Commandments are the law. That's not true. There are actually 613 laws of God, okay? And then the Pharisees come on the scene, and they devise this way to really show God how much they love him by adding around 300 more laws. Sounds really godly, doesn't it? It's crazy. The, the Pharisees didn't get it. They didn't understand that God gave those 613 laws to frustrate us, to get us to a point where we say, I can't do this. I can't keep all these laws. And God says, that's right, great. Come have relationship with me as your father and teacher. Don't have relationship with the schoolmaster anymore. Come have intimate relationship with me. Think about this. Right before the Ten Commandments, God says, gather up all the people and bring them to the base of the mountain. And the thunder and lightning starts going down. And the people get freaked out. So they say to Moses, uh, hey, buddy, you, you go to the top, you tell us, you, you hear what God says, you come back, you tell us what God says, and we'll do whatever he says. And I'm not saying this is what happened, I just wonder sometimes. You know, my, my holy or sometimes unholy imagination 
just kind of wonders. I wonder if God watching the people of Israel say, uh, we, don't, we don't need to go to the base. Moses can go and, and we'll just have a relationship with God through Moses. I wonder if God watching that didn't go, really? So you don't, you don't want personal relationship with me? Huh. Okay. So you think you can have a relationship with me through him and you're fine with that? Okay. Well, if you don't want relationship with me, thou shalt not, 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 thou shalt not. And you're going to get so frustrated with the rules that at some point you're going to give up on these rules as your way of living and enter into relationship with a father, not just a schoolmaster. 613 laws. And, and if you don't think that the law was given to frustrate us, read Leviticus. That's your homework this week. Go read Leviticus. Did you know there's one entire chapter, chapter 13, on what to do if we get a scab? To me, this proves God has a sarcastic side. A whole chapter in the Bible on what do I do when I get a scab? Listen, the law was given to frustrate us with that schoolmaster so that we would be motivated to give our lives to the new teacher. The law is a master, but is the law our master as believers? No, it's not. The law is not our master, and thank God. Because the law says, when you mess up, run to the judgment seat. But grace, Jesus comes and he says, when you mess up, do not run to the judgment seat, run to the mercy seat. Come find mercy, not judgment. When you mess up, what a great God that he would give us the law. And one of the reasons was to frustrate me so that I would run to grace. Here's the second thing that makes the law so beautiful. Point number two, the law is a mirror. The law is a mirror. Here's what that means. The law reflects God's standard on moral issues. The law is, is not bad, it's good. But without God's standard on moral issues, life on this earth will feel more like drowning than a destiny. We need God's standard for living. And if you want to know where God stands on an issue, read the law. For instance, is adultery right or wrong? Okay, eight of you said wrong. Yeah, I heard some wives go, it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's wrong. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Know what I'm preaching on next series. Okay, let me say it another way. Is God for adultery or against it? Okay, how do you know? The law says. The law says. The law tells us God's stance on adultery. Now, the bigger question is, why is God against it? I'll tell you why. Because adultery will hurt me. It will hurt my wife. It will hurt my children. It will hurt the other person. It will hurt their spouse. It will hurt their children. Listen to me closely. 
if you're here and you're a new believer and you think, or maybe you're not a believer and you haven't given your life to Jesus because you think he's the ultimate killjoy, that God just wants to suck out all the joy in your life, that anything fun, God hates. Okay, let me, let me help you understand a principle of God's character. Here's why God hates sin. Because sin hurts people. And God loves people. Sin hurts us. That's why God hates sin. He hates it. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. If you want to know, you want to see it in Scripture, why God says, don't do this, don't do that. It's going to hurt you. Do this over here. Look, Romans chapter 7, how essential it is to know God's standard. Well then, Paul says, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. God shows us his stance through the law. And let me give you a statement because some of you might be thinking, well, here's my problem. Every time I fall short of God's standard, I feel like God doesn't love me anymore. Okay, that's not accurate. Let me give you a statement, all right? The law reflects the parameters of God's desires, not the parameters of his love. Okay, let me say it again and I'll explain it. The law reflects the parameters, the boundaries of God's desires, not the parameters of his love. Here's what that means, that when you step outside of the parameters, the boundaries of God's standard, it doesn't mean you have now stepped outside the boundaries of his love, and I can prove it to you. Think about this. Is the world a moral place? Is the world living up to God's standard? No. And yet, the most famous Bible verse in all of the Bible is what? For God so loved the world, the fallen, immoral world. Romans tells us while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. Listen, if you've convinced yourself when you step outside of the boundaries of God's standard that he no longer loves you, you're wrong. Sure, he might be disappointed, but he hasn't stopped loving you. He loved you even when you were messing up at your worst. He still loves you when you mess up. Now think about how we see this, the parameters of God's desires alongside the parameters of his love. How about the woman caught in adultery? The Pharisees bring the woman caught in adultery to Jesus, and they start off the exchange by saying, the law says, okay, what did the law say they were supposed to do with someone caught in adultery? Stoner, right? Killer, all right? Can you imagine how much less adultery there would be if we still followed that rule? I'm pretty sure more than eight of you would say, it's wrong. I think all of you would go, it's way wrong. I don't want to die. I don't want to be killed for it. Okay, now think about this. If you think, well, man, that's harsh of God to make the penalty for adultery death. Why would God do that? Well, let me just give you two thoughts. One is, I think God was setting the highest boundary possible to help motivate you to never give in to that type of temptation. But I also think there was another reason God did it. I think it was God's way of saying, listen, it would be better for you not to be alive 
than to have to live and watch the pain you have inflicted upon those you love most because of this sinful decision. That's why. Because sin hurts. That's why God doesn't want us to do it. Not because he's a prude. Because sin hurts. Woman caught in adultery. They say, the law says we're supposed to kill her. What do you say? Jesus, brilliant as ever, as always, says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Brilliant response. Perfect response. And what happens? One by one, they all start wandering away. Now, again, if you're here and you're not a believer or maybe a new believer or you've been walking with God for a long time and you've convinced yourself that when you mess up, God is mad at you, he wants to hurt you, he wants to punish you, he's frustrated with you, think about this really closely. Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Can I ask you a question? Who was the only person in that circle who qualified on those grounds to throw the rock? Jesus. And the only one who was qualified to throw the stone said, I'm not doing it. And he says to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. They're gone. Jesus said, that's right. Neither do I accuse you. So we see the grace. But as always, we see the truth. He finishes off by saying to her, go and sin no more. He says, I don't accuse you, but don't do this anymore. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting the people you love. Stop doing this. I don't accuse you, but stop it. Go and sin no more. Here's the third thing that makes the law so beautiful. Point number three, the law is a map. The law is a map. The law tells us the right way to go. God knows the right way to be a spouse, the right way to be married. God knows the right way to parent. God knows the right way to be employed. God knows the right way to be an owner. God knows the right way to be a steward of your finances. How are we going to learn all of those things? By getting into his word. His law is a map. And here's the best part about this map. It doesn't just show us the right way. It also shows us the pitfalls of going the wrong way. It doesn't just say, this is the, be a robot. This is the only way you can go. It says, listen, here's the right way to go. And here's what happens if you go the wrong way. Here are the pitfalls of going the wrong way. Now, flip over to Psalm 119. And while you're turning there, let me give you a couple of words used to describe the law of God in Scripture, okay? Because you're going to see some of them in Psalm 119. Words like instructions, commandments, precepts, statutes, your words, O Lord. All of those things are used in Scripture to describe the laws of God, all right? So let's see if we see any of those in Psalm 119, starting in verse 97. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Some of you are thinking, that guy needs to get a life. Don't lie. You know you're thinking that. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, 
for I am always thinking of your laws. I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you have taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. And you've probably heard this next verse, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Some people have this impression of life with God. That if I do something and I enjoy it, then it's got to be sin. And if I do something and I don't enjoy it, it's got to be holy. This is absolutely crazy. Because that would mean bluebell ice cream is a sin, and I know it's not. I love me some bluebell ice cream, sometimes three times a day. Small portions, very small portion. Only when Holly's in the room. All the other time, big portion. If I, if I enjoy something, it's got to be sin. It's, it's got to be wrong. And if I do something and I don't enjoy it, that means it's holy. This is crazy. And what that means is that you really believe that God gave us the law so that we would not enjoy life on this earth. When in fact, God gave us the law so that we could enjoy life on this earth. By being the best husband I can be. By being the best parent I can be. By being the best employee I can be. By being the best owner I can be. By being the best steward I can be. So that I can enjoy life on the earth. Not so that joy can be sucked out of my life on the earth. God left us a map to know the best way to go. The best way to do things. How could that be bad? It's not. It's actually beautiful. Here's the fourth thing that makes the law so beautiful. Point number four. The law is a measure. The law is a measure. The law is a measure to help us see how we're doing. It helps us to see how we're growing, how we're progressing, how we're maturing. Now think about it. Typically, when someone first gets saved they still occasionally struggle with living out God's standard. Sometimes it's just because of ignorance. They just don't know. And other times it's because they've struggled in this area of life for many, many years preceding giving their life to Christ. Part of the reason the law was given to us was so that when that happens to us, as we walk with God, and years go by, studying his word, spending time in his presence, we begin to understand his standard. And then we're able to look back and see just how far we've come, just how far God has brought us. When we look back and go, man, I remember when I first got saved, I used to really struggle with that area of my life. I was falling way short of God's standard, but it, it's been 15 years since I even thought about that. Man, God, it's amazing how far I've come. Thank you for bringing me this far. The law helps us to measure our progress. But having said that, let me make sure you see the other side of the coin. Law keeping is not a true measure of spirituality. 
Law-keeping is not a true measure. It is not the best measure of spirituality. You could have a new believer who is on fire, in love with God, but basically ignorant of the standards of God. And then you could have a believer who's walked with God for 20 years, and they have learned through much study of his word, much time in his presence, they have learned how to live out God's standard. But what if that believer who's walked with God for 20 years, outwardly, on the law-keeping side, they look fantastic, but what if inwardly they, they are filled with bitterness, envy, malice, judgment, rage? Just because the believer who's walked with God and has learned how to live out publicly God's standard, just because they know how to do it, if they are messed up on the inside, it does not make them more spiritual than the new believer who isn't even aware of all of God's standards for living. Yet in the church, many people who've walked with God for a long time judge unbelievers and new believers on that very ground. Law-keeping is not a true measure of spirituality. Think about it. If law-keeping were a true measure of spirituality, that would mean the Pharisees were the most spiritual among us. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the opposite, didn't he? Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. And he repeats it a couple more times. He's riled up, he's frustrated that the Pharisees on the outside look like they're doing a phenomenal job keeping God's law. But on the inside, their cup was messed up. Now, I made a statement earlier in the message that the righteousness of grace exceeds the righteousness of the law. In Matthew 5, remember what Jesus is saying. He uses a couple of examples. He says, the law says, do not commit adultery. But I say, don't even lust. Okay, Jesus is going farther than the law did. Think about what Jesus is saying. He says, basically, the law says, it's okay for you to shop, but I say you're not allowed to even go in the store. Jesus says, the law says it's okay for you to look, but I say it's not even okay for you to turn your head and glance. He goes beyond. Why? Why does Jesus, when speaking of righteousness, comparing to the righteousness of law, why does he always go further speaking of the righteousness of grace? Here's why. Because the righteousness of grace requires your heart. That's different than just trying to fulfill the righteousness of the law. Time and time again, Jesus said, yeah, the law says this, but I go many steps further. So we can't walk around and say, I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want. I'm under grace. No, no, no. I am under grace. And the righteousness of grace exceeds the righteousness of the law. And listen, I've given you four things that the law is. Let me give you something the law is not. The law is not a machete. That's what the Pharisees used the law for. It was a machete to hurt people. And we see this in the church from time to time. 
And some of us have even experienced the pain of this machete. Someone who's walked with God for many years sees us in the lobby and sees we're not dressed the way they think is appropriate in church. And so they come up, hack, 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 hack. They see that you have tattoos, hack, 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 hack. You don't believe in the fullness of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Hack, 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 hack. Listen, the law was given to us as a measure to measure ourselves, not to measure everyone else. The law is not a machete. God did not give it to us so we could walk around and hurt other believers and unbelievers with it. It was given, one of the reasons to us was to measure our own progress. I have a a friend who pastors in Orlando, and he tells this story about when he was in college. He was in an ethics class, and the teacher passed out a test to everyone in the class and said, when you're done, just flip your test over, and I'll give you instructions once everyone has completed the exam. Once everyone was done, the teacher said, okay, I want everyone to turn their test over. You're going to grade your own test, and I'm going to walk you through, starting with question number one, how to grade it. You get a quarter point off if you answered it this way, half a point if you answer it this way, a full point off if you answer it this way. Went from question one to the very last question. And my friend says, listen, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I kind of figured it out. This is an ethics class, and the test isn't actually the test. This is the test. The teacher wants to see if I will honestly and accurately grade my own test. I'm going to ace this test. So they're all grading their tests. And at the end, the teacher says, okay, you can put your tests away. Get out your textbooks. We're going to go on to chapter two. And while they're getting their books out, one of the students raised their hand and said, don't you want to know what I got on the test? And the teacher said, no. This test, like all other tests, is not given so that I will know how you're doing and how well you know the material. This test, like all others, is given so that you will know how well you're doing and how well you know the material. Okay, now I'm about to make a statement that is going to shock some of you because it is so filled with grace. And I understand that when we talk about grace, sometimes it seems too good to be true And some of us have this thought, I've been in church for many years, and if I hear something new, it must be wrong. Okay, that's really bad. But I saw it last night. There's a little bit of pushback at first, but I'll explain it, okay? The law is a test God does not grade for believers. The law is a test God does not grade for believers. It is a test that is given for you to know how you're doing, not for God to know how you're doing. I know it. I know there's a little bit of angst in some of you. It's very simple to prove. If God did grade your test, you would fail. And only one person has ever taken this test 
and aced it. And it is the only person who in all of history will ever ace the test. His name is Jesus. And here is salvation in a nutshell. God calls you to the front of the room and he says, would you like to take this test? Because if you pass this test, you get to spend eternity with me in heaven. Would you like to take this test? Yes, Lord, I want to take the test. Okay, there are 613 questions. And if you miss one of them, you miss them all. I've been studying God. I'm ready to go. I'm going to ace this test. I'm ready to roll. Uh, Preston, I, I regret to inform you. You've been taking this test since you were born. And you failed in historically quick fashion. But here's what I'm willing to do. This is my son, Jesus. And he left heaven and came to earth. And he took this same examination. And he aced it. A perfect score, Preston. And here's what I'm willing to do. If you want to, I will give you his grade. Preston, would you like my son's grade? And I said, yes. That's grace. And one of my favorite things about the law is that it reminds me that I failed the exam. But it also reminds me because of Jesus, I aced it. And I get in on all of the benefits of a perfect score. That is grace. And that is beautiful. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.